You're listening to the Crowdfunding Nerds Podcast, a podcast that will help you succeed before, during, and after your crowdfunding event. And now, here is your host, Andrew Lowen. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another awesome episode of Crowdfunding Nerds. I am your host, Andrew Lowen, and I am joined, as always, by Sean Bradford. On this episode, we really wanted to to dive into the our past episodes because there are so many just excellent bits of information that are locked away in those episodes. Many of you have heard some of that content and others have, you know, maybe just started listening halfway through and are just kind of keeping up and whatnot. So we wanted to, number one, we wanted to revisit some of that content and curate uh, some of that old content for you, but then also provide a fresh perspective on it with what we have learned because our first podcast was, you know, three years ago. We're we're at almost 150 episodes in now, and there's has been so much that has changed, a lot that we've learned, and and so on. And so we wanted to dive into that uh, with you guys. So, Where's the time gone? November 25, 2020 is the first episode when it was released. Wow. Yeah, it is pretty crazy, you know, when you think about it and how how we've grown. And so for the rewind. Insert sound effect. <laughs> Hopefully, it will be less cringy than the YouTube rewinds that they. I think they stopped doing that because uh, it always got like dumbed down, bombed. <laughs> you know, the everyone yeah. just disliked them, no matter how good they were or entertaining they were. People were just like, "I hate it because you're making me watch this," or you know, you put yeah. such emphasis on it. I suppose in the the first episode we've ever released that some people might be familiar with, we did a Kickstarter referral metrics deep dive. By the way, we probably should mention that. If you go to our website, crowdfundingnotes.com, you, you can type in forward slash episode and then just the numerical number, and that will get you to the podcast. So on forward slash episode one, if you type that in your URL, you'll pop, pop up the, the first episode we ever did. But anyway, on this Kickstarter referral metrics deep dive, I think it was the first, one of the first tasks you gave me when, when I joined Crowdfunding Nerds. It was yeah. like, here, here's all this data, go process it and come back and write an article. And so <laughs> this episode was off the back of some uh, a deep dive into referral metrics. And we do have an article that goes into uh, greater detail. But essentially what we were able to work out from looking at past campaigns was that there's this sort of, 60-40 split in terms of funds being raised, trying to work out, use induction. So there's a little bit of sort of assumptions going into all of this, but trying to work out how much is attributable to your own efforts and how much is the result of Kickstarter's algorithm and its systems kind of pushing your project out there. And then how can you use this information to sort of predict and make assumptions about your campaign that then can give you a better, a better understanding on how much ad spend you should be investing or what your potential profit margin could be and so on and so forth. So I would actually say that we've amended this and we've updated this through our crowdfunding nerds Kickstarter calculator. So if you go to crowdfundingnerds.com forward slash Kickstarter dash success dash calculator, or there's like a menu at the top says calculator, you can download a an Excel file and you can then play with this yourself. And that's probably how we updated this. So all the information's still there, but you, it's now easier to sort of contextualize for your own example using that calculator. So that's where I would probably take you when looking at this. So you can listen to the episode and then go and use the calculator to work out what you could potentially do. Yeah, so the summary, um, just based on what uh, what I recollect. So what happened was uh, Mike Ganade, I hope I didn't butcher his name, of Rockmaner Games wrote 
an article about the metrics he he got for his uh, for some of his recent releases, and you know how much were you know how much Kickstarter said was responsible for uh, you know like the amount of funding raised versus how much he was responsible versus how much kind of custom referring domains were responsible. So like if there was an influencer that had a particular like a special referral link how many pledges did they generate and so on. And um, he, he actually looked at these um, metrics and like, for example, search when somebody searches and finds your project, Kickstarter takes full credit for that. But in actuality, that was not what generated that lead. The search was a result of something else, which is probably um, maybe your Facebook ad or an influencer talking about your game or something else that just let people know it existed. And so search is not actually to be credited to Kickstarter, but it should be credited to, to whatever the marketing efforts were. We started with that and we just dove into five of our campaigns of varying levels of success, ranging from only $3,000 funded at the time. Can you believe that? We actually had a campaign that was just really small and only $3,000 funded. And it was like, 150% funded or something. Um, and then all the way to like, you know, our uh, larger campaigns at that time, this three years ago was like $250,000, I think was the largest campaign that we examined. So we looked at the backer list. We looked at the amount funded. We looked at what Kickstarter said was the amount that Kickstarter raised and the various metrics of um, where Kickstarter said the people came from that were, that were backers. So, you know, there were various like, you know, search, there were people that went there directly. There were people that went there via email, uh, you know, like the email that the creator sent that said, hey, our Kickstarter is live, the notification from Kickstarter and so on. And um, so what we we kind of estimated at the time of the, the recap, like Sean said, was an average of for every six backers you bring to a Kickstarter campaign with your marketing efforts, Kickstarter will bring four more. And this was a very loose, uh, kind of fast and loose number that, you know, really, uh, number one, it, it helped me personally, because I was eventually going to go to Kickstarter with my own game. I wanted to know how much of the marketing effort do I actually need to fully work myself? And then how much of that is Kickstarter magic? And so that was kind of our loose estimate. In the past, and this is for partially from my gut, but also is fact, uh, depending on the various um, time of year, Kickstarter has more projects on it today in the games category than they did three years ago. Uh, there, there are more there are more competitors um, than there were. There are you know more people trying to make something happen. I think that you know the whole COVID thing happened that's really when we started to look at projects um, in 2020, at the end of 2020. And so that that's when this original podcast was recorded. And I think that a lot of people kind of were stuck at home and really started to tinker with ideas. And you're seeing a lot of games that have risen out of, of that, that time. And I think that, um, you know, we do, we do see a lot of expansions. We see people using, uh, like Final Girl right now is today on uh, Kickstarter. It's Series 3, which uh, they've had two two previous um, Kickstarters for Final Girl um, or S Season 3, Series 3. 
And then, uh, you know, you've got Ivy Studios right now has Mythic Mischief Volume 2. They're using Kickstarter as their, you know, like a regular part of their business model. This is more common today than it was, but you're also seeing a lot more indie creators. And that's really where we kind of, you know, specialize. It's our niche as, as far as like a marketing company. We help people that, you know, either don't have an email list or really want to, you know, grow their list and pre-marketing and that kind of thing. And there's, I think, a lot more demand for that today than there was uh, even, you know, three years ago when we originally recorded this. So there's more competitors. There are more people being brought on to Kickstarter, you know, more people that are familiar with it today than there were. And overall, the, the amounts that people are raising on Kickstarter are generally higher. So I think that the 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 problem is that the competition is higher you know gamefound which we'll talk about later is much more relevant than it was and so i i don't know i think i it just feels to me like if you're a creator hoping to make something it needs to look almost complete and you need to have your your audience but how much of that audience needs to be from you i would say in order to be safe 75% of your day one backers you should have on your email list or in your social communities. You know, the the days that that people are more likely to just back a random project, I would say that has thinned out a little bit where, you know, you you definitely want to be able to can, kind of control your own destiny if you if if I can say it like that. I also think people are probably leveraging the platform a bit better where they might back for a dollar and then jump in on the late pledge at, at full price. So it's not being represented on the actual kickstarter campaign it's yeah. been attributed to a later stage so a lot more people do that right they just get in at a very low pledge and upgrade later when whenever they want so mm-hmm. more people are sort of playing the game i suppose so that's mm-hmm. not going to be represented in your your funding goals yes yeah so uh then based on what you had said and what i had shared i think the quick takeaways for episode one is that you should have about 75% of your of your backers already in pre-marketing. Don't rely on Kickstarter to find the majority of your backers. If you make a really awesome thing and just say, uh, you know, if I build it, they will come. It's, it's, it's less true now than it was three years ago. Yeah, so that's, that's kind of where we're at, what I feel there. Moving on. <laughs> yes, so. Ep- episode number two is facebook ads for kickstarter marketing and game development so this episode really talked about the the structure really the messaging of your facebook ad what tends or generally works well and i think this one episode has aged very well i think a lot of the principles here are still applicable today i would even say that the thing that we've learned since this episode is that answering the question, what is it, is probably the most effective thing you can do on, with your Facebook ads, particularly at the sort of top of funnel where people have no contact with you. So the first thing you should really try to do is quickly show and explain what it is. So we, you know, we've mentioned with Deliverance, the Demon Slaying board game, you have a picture of a box that shows that it clearly is a board game with components and miniatures. Then, So as soon as they scroll, they know in a couple of, <laughs> like a millisecond, that this is a board game, this is the theme, and does this interest me, yes or no, they're gonna swipe uh, or they're gonna click. That's that's really what you're trying to do with your ads. So this is a good episode to to watch or to listen to again. If you wanna know 
sort of a step-by-step process or guide on how to set up your Facebook ads, your messaging. But listening to the principles here could also help you with your messaging in other areas as well, such as email updates and other things. So it's probably just good in terms of knowing the, the general principles behind marketing messaging. Yep. Yeah. And uh, you know what, what's so interesting is there are uh, in the show notes, there's in about 30 minutes in, it says four ad styles you must know. It's like, I'm even looking at that thinking, I want to revisit this episode to figure out what four ad styles those are. I know we talked about like the ad that is introducing this, a game about Mm -hmm. that for this many players and whatever. All of those things are still extremely relevant. And I would add probably, I'm not sure if we did this in, in, you know, at this time, but a quote from a reviewer or actually uh, not a reviewer, but a, a quote from a fan that rated the game on BoardGameGeek. That's, I think, been very effective. Shorter ads sometimes are more effective than the longer ads, but one thing that will it just always adds value is a quote, like a really meaningful quote from, from somebody, even if it's just somebody who bought the game or is a play tester or that kind of thing. Yes. Yeah, so the four styles is the introducing. So the introducing this game and this is what it is. The second one is the thematic challenge. So something thematic within with a question at the end, can you overcome the darkness and slay all the demons or whatever? And then the third one is the feature bullet. So, you know, it could be, easy tutorial on how to play it sets up quickly you know the kind of feature bullets of the things that make it stand out and, and then the final one is the accolades which we you just spoke about the the quotation from a reviewer or from a, a fan or community mm-hmm. uh, which i think the, the accolade can be a, a little tricky some those are sort of hit or miss so it's, it's always worth testing but they usually don't land very well uh, usually for retargeting things like that do do better mm-hmm. yeah it's um i find that what works today for, for example, like with Deliverance, we, you know, it released and now we're running ads and, and everything. And some of the most effective ads are just people that talk about it on BoardGameGeek that rated it a 10 or a 9 and just shared all of their, what they love about it. And I think that if that is, if that resonates with people, if they are looking for a game that does the things that the, that the, um, the review highlights, I think that's where the real value is. Rather than some, you know, famous reviewer saying this might make my top ten or whatever, it's just not as impactful. I think that it the substance needs to be on demonstrating the product and helping people understand the product. So, um, you know, in fact, you mentioned like the bullet points. I think that we're really well known at this point for doing bullet points. So, if you see an ad on Facebook for a game that has green check marks or something um, that are you know, that's uh, a lot of people know that th- those are our ads now. Um, most often, they're just so effective. Well, a lot of people have copied them as well. So yeah, I've seen yeah. I've seen other agencies do it as well. So the greatest form of flattery, right? You know? <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'd, I'd also say you know one of the one of the most common problems that I see now, and I I think that it's more so a problem now than it was, like even more so a problem now than it was three years ago when we did this episode is that when people, and you kind of alluded to it earlier, when people uh, develop an ad, they develop the creative, which is the image um, and the text and everything like that. And it sounds great, but people think that this is a video game because you used a really cool art piece. This is something that we used to have more problems with because we, we would just pick a really cool art piece out. 
I remember there was this board game that we did a long time ago called Kleos. It was this Greek mythology board game, and we had this picture of Ares, this gigantic uh, dude in a Spartan kind of getup that was crashing over a wall and like, you know, had this really crazy looking spear and, and everything. Um, uh, it was this really cool art piece. And we talked, it was like, we used thematic introduction and everything. And it was, everybody thought it was a video game, you know? <laughs> and so we, we kind of tried to steer away from just a straight art piece, unless it was to a tabletop RPG crowd or something like that, where they would naturally be more likely to assume this cool art piece is actually for, uh, you know, a tabletop game. Um, but I see a lot of people doing that where they will just throw a, the, their cover, their box cover art up there and it'll be like, oh, I wonder when the video game is going to come out. And that's not what you want people to say. So I think that that is probably a more prevalent issue than it was. But just in general, I think I see all the same mistakes that people that people do. And most of it is from inexperience where, you know, you run an ad yourself and you make it, it's just not engaging it's it's not um trying to demonstrate the product so much or trying to help people understand what this is you know and and so i guess my my number one takeaway from this is just to make sure that the ad as the top of the funnel that will lead people to your landing page the ad needs to kind of uh as the old saying goes wet someone's whistle it needs to help somebody understand what it is enough to get them to make a small decision of should I look more into this or should I abandon this now and not dive in? Okay, moving on. Episode yes. number three. This is going to be a long podcast. We're going to go all the way up to episode 100. <laughs> <laughs> no, we just got the first five. Yeah. So episode number three, how to craft your Kickstarter offer. This is super important. I just got off a call last week with a client of ours who just launched on GameFound, Margrave. And they have this miniatures game is they've kind of run into this problem where they have a, a core group of people who are super excited for the game. And I think they have like some like 30, 30 backers so far, but they've raised over 30 grand <laughs> because they've the, the, the small kind of niche group of people have pledged these huge amounts because they're just really into it. So the key now I was trying to help him dissect his game found page to kind of position the offer for because there's clearly something there right if people are pledging these huge amounts they, they're really into it so how does how can he shape the offer so that appeals to people who maybe have had no experience with what they're doing and how can you kind of make the the entry point a bit easier sort of key elements that you sort of have to do well one is what is this you have to explain that very clearly one is you have to work out your manufacturing make sure that your pricing and is competitive and that it's, it's it's good because you could have a great looking page but if everything's overpriced well no one's going to pay too much attention and shipping is part of this as well so yeah th that episode really does a deep dive into all those things which is still super important today and would certainly be worth checking out yeah um and to kind of define what we mean by the offer the offer is the total package so if i let's imagine i was at a booth selling my game it's deliverance because that's the thing I actually sell. You are looking at it, trying to determine if it's something that you're interested in, uh, you know about the game. So now you're trying to figure out, okay, what's the price? What do I get? What comes inside the box? Is it is it worth it? Is it a good value? Will I enjoy it? So those are the things you're trying to understand. So you're actually looking at a Kickstarter page or a GameFound page 
and you're you're trying to decide if this is a product that is for you and also is uh you know worth it because you only have a certain amount of disposable income that you can spend on stuff like this and you're only going to do it if you think they can deliver and so on and so forth so the offer is everything that goes into helping you make that decision the price of the game itself the price of the shipping the um you know what actually comes in the box and the value that comes in the box how the game actually plays and how you showcase what it is that you are selling all of that kind of um, amalgamates into what we call the offer and so your pledge levels like the pledge tiers are really important and you know some of the common mistakes we call them sometimes hygiene factors but you know if it's like you have if you have eight pledge levels for various elements of the game and you know the base game plus this expansion in one pledge level the base game plus the other expansion in the next pledge level the base game plus metal coins in the next pledge level it's like well we're you know you're going to confuse your people and they they want to know like well i want all the gameplay content i don't need any of the extra cosmetic upgrades i just need the gameplay content please give me a pledge level with all of that Someone else is like, I need the pledge level with everything. Give me the pledge level with that. Another person will say, I need just the base game. Please give me the option with that. And so uh, part of this quote unquote offer is helping people clearly understand what the right option is for them. So uh, confusing, you know, the, the warning signs of a poor offer. We go over this in episode three and, you know, uh, early birds, I think we discuss and how we don't like them in general. Um you know, high shipping compared to the the actual cost of the product. Um, but confusing pledge levels is a huge problem. And I would say mm. it has not gotten any better. I don't know why, but people that are that are looking to be extremely clear, I think each pledge tier needs to have a purpose. When you tell people like, hey, we're we're uh, you know, this is the game, the just the base game by itself. This is the version with all the gameplay content. This is the version with all the cosmetic upgrades. It, you know, the all in, it becomes much more clear. You know, I see people giving like a, you know, you can buy two games with this pledge. You can buy three games with this pledge. You know, it's like, why? Um, People can add on extra copies if they want, but what you're doing more than, you know, you might help one or two people find the three pledge tier that they were looking for. And then 30 to 100 are looking at that saying, I don't know why I would ever pick that. I feel like clarity is the the general point of this podcast. Make it extremely clear as to what it is that you're selling, what it costs, what it includes, and clarity in the actual, when it comes time to press a button and pay for your, pay for it, in, in what that, ple- that pledge tier actually includes made a bit easier now that kickstarter allows images with the pledges so you have a visit you have a visual representation of what the pledges include and one thing i'd also add is make sure that your pledges are descriptive to what people get so so many times you have these kind of thematic pledges like Mm -hmm. the explorer page like the the journey it's like well you haven't told me anything about this pledge now i've got to read all this tiny text it should be like oh this is the base pledge this is the all-in pledge this is the all gameplay minis only pledge those are far better names for pledges because straight away they know what they get and that's really what when people are looking at the pledges they're looking at what do i get for the money i spend 
And that's what yeah. you need to be able to answer quickly. So I, I would uh, encourage you to avoid any kind of thematic pledge level uh, tiers, which sound cool, but they just sort of add a barrier to people actually knowing what to do. Yeah, for me, I, I find that, you know, just the, you know, base game, all gameplay content, all in, each of those have a position in the mind of a customer. I want everything. I want all the gameplay. I want the minimum entry point. And then mm -hmm. if there are extra reasons that you should have another pledge tier, one of, uh, there are two others that I can think of off the top of my head. One is for retailers and another is for the $1 pledge because you can't stop people from pledging a dollar. You should actually just give people that option that want to follow along with the campaign. A lot of those people will upgrade later in your pledge manager and other things like that. So um, uh, one other thing I'll mention with the offer is that the manufacturer and shipping partners you use matter, especially to people that pay VAT taxes in the EU or the UK or um, you know other other regions. They need to figure out what does it actually cost, you know. And those people are more familiar with their region's numbers. Like Germany is going to add whatever it is, nineteen or twenty percent on on top of whatever you paid in VAT. Um, so we need to make sure that those people have all of the information. Is it going to be fulfilled from within the region? And am I going to avoid having to pay those taxes? Or am I going to have to pay an extra 20 bucks on top of this hundred that I, that I've already paid? So um, that's definitely something to consider. So moving on episode yep. Number four, GameFound versus Kickstarter. And <laughs> I don't know how well this would have aged because I think this episode was quite speculative in terms of is GameFound the next Kickstarter? And I think that's still yet to be seen, but GameFound certainly has forced Kickstarter to innovate and make some changes along, along with BackerKit and other competitors to Kickstarter. Mm -hmm. So GameFound certainly is still a, a contender. And I think the advantages of GameFound, which didn't really exist in when during that episode is their st stretch pay. I think that kind of at the moment is their key selling point. Also the fact that they handle VAT for, for people that can be super helpful, but then the disadvantage is VAT's also included in your pledge. So you have to keep that in mind mm -hmm. as well. So yeah. Yeah, this, this episode, I don't know how uh, useful it would be anymore because things have changed quite a bit. Uh, for example, I, I do remember us talking about uh, the disadvantages of Kickstarter. You can't create referral codes before you launch and you can on GameFound. Well, you can now on Kickstarter. They have amended some of those features. So uh, just keep that in mind when, if you do choose to go back and listen to this episode. Since then, they've really found their stride in like highly thematic big games, I think. Something that's like a midweight Euro or like a gateway game. I don't, I don't, I don't think GameFound is a very good fit for something like that, but I do think that GameFound is more a competitor for Kickstarter than ever before. Um, mm -hmm. So, you know, they, um, the, the one negative is that, you know, from what, you know, since this time, I feel like GameFound is really trying to be an all-in-one solution. And I think that that's actually a very negative thing overall. They're trying to be, you know, they're trying to do all the marketing and they're trying to do all the VAT collection and all the, you know, as a pledge manager and a crowdfunding campaign. And they want you to have your email list actually in game found and, and all of that. And there's a danger, an inherent danger of, you know, like for example, not being in charge of your own email list. If game found is where your emails are or your backers are, then, you know, you're not exactly, it's, 
the way that they do marketing, they want you to build followers um, on GameFound. And, and so I, I don't know, I'm, I'm always suspect of that. I think that the most valuable thing that a company has is the email list. It's the most valuable single asset that you have as a company. And if you've never built one, then I think that you're doing yourselves a disservice. And so, um, so anyway, I, um, I think that the, the big takeaway for me in this episode is that GameFound is more of a competitor than ever before against Kickstarter. Kickstarter, I'd say, would have about twice as much organic traffic as GameFound. I think GameFound gets about a million and a half unique visitors per month, and Kickstarter gets around seven to eight million. But if you were to look at like, uh, I don't know, like 40% of those people are in for board games, it's like 38 to 40% that of their revenue comes from, you know, board games, then... And there's a lot get, more projects on the on the platform as well, so it's harder to stand out. Right. So you get like three or three and a half million people, like unique visitors per month on Kickstarter versus one and a half million on GameFound. So I think that if you're if you're on the fence because of the uh the marketing or i'm sorry because of the organic traffic on GameFound, i think that GameFound, since three years ago when we recorded that podcast has come a massively long way they do not have many competitors and they have tons of uh tons of organic traffic compared to compared to before so i actually think that the the major consideration is like are people you know that are used to kickstarter are they going to transition over to GameFound? In general, I think so. I still think Kickstarter is bigger and the organic traffic being double is not a small number, but I I have had many clients decide to switch over to GameFound. Like we just did um, uh, Planet Unknown Supermoon and they generated $830,000. Um, our client, Isoverian Guard, chose GameFound and they generated $933,000 um, for their return. So would it have been larger on Kickstarter? I'm not sure that they would have, you know, and, and that's because I think they had some notoriety. They had their email list, they had their fans uh, kind of leaning in and they had demand built up. And so if, whether it was on Kickstarter or GameFound, those people that demanded that product were going to find a way to get it. And um, so, you know, so I'm a little, uh, I'm still torn whether GameFound or Kickstarter for my next project, I'm not 100% decided yet. Episode number five, 4.5 outcomes you need to consider before going to Kickstarter. This episode is probably one that I refer to maybe the most. I think that this episode five is required listening. If if I were to put together uh, like my top 10 episodes of all time on this podcast, episode five would absolutely be among them, Um, probably toward the top uh, because it's super important. One of the problems that that creators have uh, rose-colored glasses with their own projects, they think this is going to be huge. If only people know about it, it's going to be huge, right? And um, they only plan for success. And that is a problem because when you run a business, which is exactly what, you know, if you're crowdfunding anything, you're starting a business or you're engaging in business, you, you need to have a plan for what if things go well, what if things don't go well? What if things go extremely well? And um, so we came up with this list of four and a half possible outcomes. We say four and a half is kind of tongue in cheek because um, so we'll, we'll just go over from, from like worst to, 
to best. So if you are absolutely going, so if you hit the launch button and you fail to fund, that is a possibility that you should plan for. I'll talk about why in a second, but um, you know, if you're going to, if it's likely that you're going to fail, but you could possibly, you know, make that, that funding goal, that's the next option. The third is if you're, uh, if you're likely to fund, but you're going to fund in a humble manner. So you might get like 125% of your goal, 150% of your goal, that something like that, I would consider barely, you know, funding where it takes you two to three weeks to actually fund. But it's not a question of if you're going to fund or not, but it's like, you know, you've got to hustle and everything like that, but you do fund, you know, that's an option. That's a possible outcome of what will happen in your Kickstarter campaign. And there's another one, which is what we hope happens for all of our clients that you fund well. This would typically be in a range of assuming your your Kickstarter goal is is legitimate and you're not artificially lowering it. You fund three to 500% of your goal. That's a good campaign. Um, that's what we all strive to, to achieve. And then there's this half option. Um, so when you fund very well, it is possible that you go viral and you fund much more than you thought you would fund. I call this catastrophic success when you are not prepared for the amount that you fund. So, you know, if uh, this would be, uh, you know, the more seasoned and experienced you are, the less catastrophic success can be. Um, if you raised a million dollars for your $10 card game, that can, I mean, there are so many little hidden fees, little hidden costs that a dollar shipping, you know, a dollar extra on the shipping for a product like that can bankrupt you. So oftentimes it's, it's, um, it's actually, interestingly enough, less likely that a project that makes a million dollars or more will deliver than a project that makes, you know, six figures. And the reason for that, and, and this is actually quite common knowledge now um, with uh, games or companies like Mythic Games and, and others that have gone belly up or are asking for more money for, you know, to cover their, their costs of past campaigns. Um, these companies, I mean, there's just so much that you have to do in regard to scaling that it's very, po- I mean, you're, you're always dancing on a knife's edge and it's very possible to, to, you know, that a $1 expense or a $2 per game expense when you've sold 10 to 15,000 games is, is just too much money or, or is more than you had in the bank account at the end of the day. So yeah, this is, this is, uh, d- these five really, I guess, five possible outcomes four and a half, just being cheeky are all things that you need to plan for because you need to show your backers. And this is the why, as I alluded to earlier, you need to show your backers that you have a firm hand on the wheel so that no matter what happens, they, they are able to trust you because of, uh, because it looks like, you know what you're doing. And I think that that's the real, the real takeaway for me here. What do you think, Sean? Yeah, I think it's it's really just about having a plan and knowing what the next steps are, not being hit off guard. So no matter what happens, you're like, oh, I'm, I'm I made a plan for this. I know what's going to happen. I know what I'm going to say to my backers. I know what the next step. So that's really what it's about, going in with a plan. 
strategy. So, you know, for me, I have always been rather long winded when I write Kickstarter updates and things like that. Uh, but I think that more information is always better than less. And in your, in your updates, you know, like when, when, when we have a client, we have, we actually don't have many people that fail to fund or anything, but if, if you are going to cancel your campaign, this is something I see, uh, you know, every so often where somebody will cancel their campaign. If you hit that cancel button before you explain what it is that like why you're canceling, what it is that you're going to be doing to, um, you know, like the problems that you've identified or, or, you know, that kind of thing. If you don't outline a plan, then people are just going to say, oh, well, yeah, this game didn't make it. And that's the last time they're going to think about you. Um, but if you come back and say, look, you know, this didn't go like we expected, but after a survey of our backers, we felt like we made an error in this, that, and the other area. And we're going to come back. We're going to, uh, we're going to cancel this campaign and we're going to re retool and relaunch in like three months after we have enough time to solve the problems that we've identified. You're going to, you're going to win more fans from your behavior than you lose from failing to fund. Um, sure. Maybe, you know, I mean, all of those emails that you received by, you know, investing into marketing on Facebook ads or whatever, that is not going to be lost. You're, you have those emails. And if you communicate with them to, for a relaunch, you will, you'll win more fans than you, than you lose and you'll get more people to back you and, and that kind of thing. Um, the, I think that it's super duper important that you communicate all things to your backers and, you know, even if it's bad news, like give it to them. It's not, I mean, any news is better than no, than radio silence, you know, and, and just like a cancel with a, with radio silence, it's just a huge mistake. So, yeah, so that's, I think that's, that's maybe worth sharing. Um, even if you fund well, coming up with like a, a consistent schedule, you know, something that I did here, you know, we funded 806% for deliverance and it was a legit funding goal. We funded just over 300K and we delivered most of our product, you know, by the time this podcast airs, the uh, the UK and, and EU are going to be delivering and whatnot or, or, or soon to it, soon to deliver. And I feel like, you know, I, the commitments I made to my backers were that I would post an update on the final day of every single month, come rain or shine, I would do that. And that is when you can expect me to communicate with you. Um, that is when you can expect an update. And my backers have started to, they, they don't, they don't hit they, on Kickstarter. You can hit a button. It's like, remind you know, ask for an update, ask for an update about this project. I never get that until the final day um, where everybody's like, you know, I want, I want an update. I hope it comes out before my bedtime. All the EU people are saying, are saying that. Um, and I think that you, what you get your backers to be used to is how they perceive you as a company moving forward. It's like, is this company reliable? If it's your first project, they don't really know. Um, the only thing they have to go on is really your communication and then the offer and how awesome the product looks. But if, uh, if you were to be very consistent and diligent in your communication, showing them over the course of your first project that you can be trusted, you're going to win fans. And I think that that actually starts from, uh, or rather it gets real from when you actually launch. And so preparing for these four and a half scenarios 
and you know, just it will it will uh, set the stage for for your your awesomeness as a company. One thing to also keep in mind when you're planning for these outcomes is allocating your ad spend. We have, we have some clients who really want to push the notify me on launch, the Kickstarter pre-launch page, get people to hit that notify me on launch button. We would sort of dissuade people from putting a lot of ad spend there. I think it's important to put some. The reason being that if people hit that notify me on launch button, you have no way of communicating with them afterwards. So it's only really useful if it's done through your email list where you really have a touch point with people. Mm-hmm. And then likewise, if you have built that follower list to and of 5,000 people, and then you don't fund or you don't fund to a capacity which you're happy with and you cancel your project, then you have no way of communicating with those people. You, you lost all your all yeah. those contacts. So that's not, that's not a great way to uh, start a business. So it's just something to keep in mind. That's a contingency you should definitely be thinking about as well. Um, on GameFound, when you get followers you can communicate with them through Facebook or through uh, GameFound updates. They actually do receive your updates for projects, which I think is Kickstarter should totally do that too. But you get so many emails with Kickstarter as it is. I bet they don't want their their followers getting all sorts of updates too. So the, the follower gets like three notifications on Kickstarter. The I you have launched email the 40 hour, eight hour reminder. And I believe there's a 24 hour and maybe an eight hour. I can't, can't remember off the top of my head right now, but game found. And those are the only updates they get. It's like, Hey, come back because you believe in it is the email they send you. But game found, you get an email every time a project you follow made an update. And um, on the game found backend, you can actually see how much revenue is generated from each update. So It's a, it's a really cool system. I think Kickstarter should totally adopt it. But one um, thing as well with GameFound, people can opt out of receiving those updates. So even though they follow the project, they can go into their settings and say, yeah, I don't want to receive email updates. So even even then, it, it can be a challenge to know, are you actually reaching your entire audience? And then you have the other added challenge where you can't segment your audience, which you can using email. So email still is the winner here, yeah. but just there is advantages it, using GameFound yeah. over Kickstarter. Yeah, and that's kind of what I was going to say is that in the end, it is so important that you own your list. You, as the company, need to own your list. And that can only own happen. It. Yeah, own it. Yeah, that can only happen through, um, you know, an email marketing system. You know, if you have the emails, then you've got the right to communicate and that kind of thing. And if, if anybody goes out of business, then you can still get your emails. Um, if you don't have any emails, and you're only using the company's web portal to communicate, like GameFound. If you know, heaven forbid, but if GameFound ever were to go out of business, you lose the ability to communicate with your clients, and so you may go out of business. Um, so I don't like the idea of uh, putting your survival on any other company's survival. You know, bigger companies that have greater revenue are never too big to fail. You know, unless you're an auto manufacturer, then you get bought out, uh, or a big bank. You know, yeah. <laughs> but, neither, but we're not talking about companies at that scale. So, um, yeah, so I'd say that's, that's a good recap of our, of our first five episodes. Um, in order, if I were to recommend you to listen to these episodes, absolutely listen to episode five, then listen to probably episode three, how to craft your Kickstarter offer. Maybe after that, the, um, episode two, yeah, episode two. Because, you know, you should know how to work Facebook ads if you're, especially if you're doing them yourself. 
and then uh, episode one is going to be really useful for um for figuring out like the um just how many backers you need in order to fund really i mean you know you should look at the kickstarter success calculator on our site just go to crowdfundingers.com look at and click calculator in our menu and you'll it'll, it'll get you there and then far far below that in the tier list is episode number four you know that's probably one that you don't need to listen to again but you heard the the latest update and uh should be good to go on this little recap so i guess with all that said i hope you guys enjoyed this new format we want to do this every so often and just revisit some of our old content and provide a fresh perspective on it as well as our biggest takeaways because a lot of the stuff that we discuss in marketing i mean it's just some of it is timeless and some is absolutely not and has changed and so we hope that everybody that's listened has found value out of this thing and let us know if you want us to continue doing this yeah yeah absolutely so and uh hit us up in our community uh let us know if you think that this episode was valuable and uh any kind of correspondence that we get uh we read and uh we really appreciate you guys thanks for listening and robot richard will send us out well that's all the time we have for this week's episode of crowdfunding nerds for more resources, articles, and to listen to past podcasts, please visit us at crowdfundingnerds.com. Thank you all again for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week. Stay nerdy. Stay nerdy.